Hey everyone, welcome to Pink Shade with Erin Martin, the podcast where we talk about reality TV and we get a little bit culty. I am still riding high from the 90 Day Fiance episode we witnessed this week. It was only an hour long, followed by the 90 Day Live show, which I was on for a brief stint, and which was kind of too many people, maybe. If you guys watched it, you know what I mean. I think TLC, if they ever do the 90 Day Live thing again, needs to reformat it, and I think they will. They're probably getting a lot of feedback about that. But, you know, it's a beta. It's the first time ever. It's the first time they did it. It was a huge undertaking. I mean, I alone had to work with producers for two weeks to get everything set up for my little part. And that's what everyone else had to do as well. So, you know, kudos to them for throwing it together. And I hope that we see a even better version, a tighter version a kind of more in-depth version next time. And I would love to be a part of it again. I, I actually had a lot of fun. And I love my pink shade friends. Thank you so much for supporting me. I was nervous going into it. I really was. It was funny. It, it's like with everything in life. And this is this is how my brain works. I don't know if you guys feel like this, but I would rather be told 30 minutes before I'm going to do something big that I'm going to do something big. Because if you tell me two weeks ahead of time that I'm going to do this quote unquote big thing, those two weeks are then ruined for me. Because I'm going to be in my head, I'm going to be swirling around, I'm going to be getting everyone's opinions, I'm going to be like talking about it nonstop, and my anxiety by the end of those two weeks is going to be through the roof. But then when I'm actually, you know, talking on the radio, when I go on the show with Jenny McCarthy every week, and I will be back this week, I'll be back Thursday, listen in, Sirius XM, we're doing Housewives Roundup and 90 Day. So, but when I go on the radio or when I do the podcast, you know, an interview with someone who I'm, I'm really, you know, humbled by, which is basically all of you, or, you know, this TV thing, which was a first time gig for me, I'm fine when I'm doing it. Like I, all my nerves go away. I just feel like I'm gabbing because what I really love to do is talk about this stuff. So the moment is never as bad as thinking about it. So I guess what I'm saying is I wish that I could have like a sci-fi black mirror type of device that could just, you know, block out all thinking up to the point of doing, that would be really great. Or maybe I just need to meditate. I don't know. People tell me that all the time and, (laughs) you know, friends lovingly suggest, Erin, maybe you should try meditation (laughs) because I'm a little high strung and maybe that would help me out. If you guys meditate out there, tell me, does it work for you? I tried it before and I'm such a nutbag. I can barely do it, which, which, you know, tells me that I need to do it. So yeah, anyway, 90 day live was fun for me. And I really hope that, like I said, they turn it into something a little bit different and, you know, maybe do it a a couple months from now. It's certainly not going to be something they do every week. I think we're going to be back with the two hour episodes and most exciting of all, we are going to get before the 90 days soon. We're going to see the return of Paul and Karini and the return of Jesse and Darcy. And then there will be four new couples as well. You can check out a preview of that if you go to tlc.com. They have all the couples listed there. There have been several uh, articles about it. You can go to Starcasm's website. They always have really good 
write-ups about 90 Day Fiance and what's coming down the pike. And um, it's just going to be amazing. It's it's my favorite of all of the shows. I love Before the 90 Days. I know you guys who watch the whole universe of 90 Day love that one too. So it's coming August 5th. Let's get hyped. This week on 90 Day Fiance Happily Ever After, it was, of course, the Pedro versus Family Chantel fight. Holy shit. I mean, that was insane. Did you guys notice something? Did you notice it was a rental that the family Chantel was hosting their, quote, family dinner in? I thought that was really suspect. I actually talked to uh, one producer about that, and I said, that doesn't look like their house. You know, is this? And she said, no, I think it's a rental. They were just, you know, making it look like their home, and we're not really sure why that happened. So I, I understand they can't spill all the details to me, but people are questioning, was that fight kind of pre-planned and that's why they did it in this rental with the, you know, pre-made food and why River had no problem hitting the IKEA light fixture and, you know, why Pedro had no problem karate kicking <laughs> the cheese plate or whatever that was at the end. That was probably one of my favorite moments. You can read my full replay on all of the details of this epic show on realityt.com. I wrote a lengthy recap for just a one hour episode because there was so much to cover. And I tried my hardest to do basically an ESPN playback of the fight scene because I got the episode a week ahead of time. I had a lot of time to rewind that scene and watch it over and over and over again. And I also got to talk to producers about it who were kind of cluing me into things. They, they definitely confirmed that Mother Chantel was holding Nicole's extensions. That's Sister Pedro. And when I watched it again, I also noticed Nicole was thrown to the ground after she like spider monkey climbed on River's back. I did not catch the first time, but I did after rewinding it several times that Winter was totally in the mix and that the producer, not the producer, sorry, the camera people didn't come in until a little bit late. I mean, yeah, they intervened, but they really let some, the, some things go down. Also, did you guys see... River, like, really throw a punch. Did he hit anything? I rewound it so many times, and I feel like he didn't. But he was responsible for throwing Nicole to the floor, right? You guys need to tell me what you think. I feel like this is this this is a scene that could be dissected by a hundred people, and we'd all see it in different ways. So take a look at my recap. See if you agree with what I saw. I know that I probably still miss some things. So if you have it on your DVR and you have just you know, endless time and obsession like me, then rewind it a hundred times also and tell me what the hell is going on. Okay. 90 day aside, we will put that on pause for now because I've been talking about it and writing about it so much. Real Housewives of New York is back, baby. They are back this week. I'm so excited. Like I said, I'll be back on Jenny McCarthy on Thursday, Sirius XM channel 109. We will be talking about New York because it must be talked about. Attention must be paid in my best countess voice. That's not really a Luann voice. I need to sound more like a man to do her voice really any justice. But I'm so excited for that to come back. The mid-season trailer was insane. I covered that on the last podcast. If you listen to my episode with Shira Weiss, which was episode 44, we definitely talked about every moment coming up in the second half of the New York season. It looks fantastic. I mean, these women are just bringing their A-game constantly. They are the MVPs. They just are. 
They just are. I don't need to keep beating that drum. I know that a lot of you out there are still watching Housewives and are maybe feeling the same thing I am, which is some cities are really struggling. You know, Beverly Hills struggled this year. OC struggled mightily last year. OC is coming back very, very soon, mid-July. We're just a little, we're just like one week out from it, right? One or two weeks. I don't know. I'm not getting my dates completely right right now, but I feel like it's 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 coming very soon. They have had a cash shakeup that is giving me hope. I am really, really crossing my fingers that it's going to be, you know, kind of a wake-up call to them, what happened last season and the feedback they got and that they're going to get in the mix and they're going to play ball. They just did not play ball last season. I'm really glad Megan's gone. I'm glad Lydia's gone. I'm glad Peggy's gone. And I think the two new women look great. They look like they're going to mix it up. And one of them already has a beef with Tamara, it seems. So, I mean, that can only spell good things, right? For housewives purposes. And also Dallas is coming back in August. And I think Dallas season two, Real Housewives of Dallas season two was pretty amazing. They just were nominated for an Emmy for casting and they kept all the same cast members that they had last year. Even Cameron Westcott, who I wasn't completely two feet in with, but I think maybe she's going to switch it up and give us a little bit more this season. There's something about her that might be working. Obviously it is because Bravo asked her back and, you know, they they don't ask everyone back or rather production asked her back. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful for that too. I think that's going to be great. So we'll basically have New York, the end of Potomac, you know, not the end. It's still kind of, we still have about a third of that left. So we'll have New York, Potomac, we'll have OC. And we'll have Dallas on all at the same time for a little bit of the summer, which will be really fun. So we'll have a lot of housewives to talk about and I can shift my, you know, podcast to really diving into those more. Also Below Deck is kind of riding the wave, no pun intended, um, Below Deck Mediterranean and below regular Below Deck usually comes back in the fall. So that will be great. I've been following that. I lost my super fan for Jersey Shore, who is going to recap it with me. And so I've been totally like radio silent on Jersey Shore, but I have been watching and I just need to do maybe a bonus episode where I recap the highlights and my thoughts about the whole season. If anyone has really been into Jersey Shore this season. Like you're in deep. You watched the original series. You were totally all about this new, you know, comeback. Then reach out to me at Erin Leah Martin on Twitter or Instagram or join the Pink Shade with Erin Martin Facebook group and you can DM me there. I would love to hear from you and maybe if we could set something up, we could talk about it. I love talking to listeners on the podcast. I think that's been one of the greatest gifts of doing this. You guys are just so fantastic. I feel like you're friends in my head. So that might make me a little bit of a single white female, a little bit scary to you, but I really truly feel like I'm connected to you. So reach out to me. Don't be scared. And if you're into Jersey Shore, you're my people. Let's talk about it. All right. So today's podcast is an interview, my second one, with Gretchen Bonaducci from the series, the mid 2000s series, Breaking Bonaducci. She is the ex wife of Danny, who is the bad boy that you may know of. And if you don't, you a simple Google search will fill you in. He was a child star in the Partridge family and in his later years, really struggled with addiction uh, in, in his marriage to Gretchen, infidelity, and erratic behavior. Much of that was highlighted in the two seasons of Breaking Bonaducci. It was a groundbreaking series, and it it's basically one of the most raw, real reality TV series that I've ever seen. 
you know, and I've seen them all. I would highly encourage if you have, you know, a weekend to spare, go Google that and watch Breaking Bonaduce. You will be riveted. You truly will. Gretchen is so amazing. You know, that was just one chapter of her life. And if you listen to my former interview with her, she told us a lot more about her life. But the exciting thing is, is that her book is coming out. The book she was writing and talking about last interview is coming out in August, and we are going to talk about it. I had the honor of being one of the first three people to read an advanced copy of the book. She sent it to me, and I wrote a review for her, and I truly say this, and I'm being completely honest, it's a fabulous read. It's what a memoir really should be, in that she doesn't make herself a victim. It's not a list of complaints, but she's very open and very real, and she you know, she spills a lot of what went on in her life, not just with Danny, you know, before and after as well. She's a musician. She's a singer now. She talks about her band currently. She talks about how it was putting her children on reality television. You know, she regrets it. And she also talks about her childhood, which really created a lot of patterns that she talks about in her marriage later. And I think just as a woman reading this book, I could relate to her so much. I really felt like I knew it by the end of it. And so I was so thrilled when she said she would come back on the podcast and talk to us about the book and get into some of the chapters and also tease some of the really, really juicy details in there. So take a listen and make sure to reach out to her on social media and go on Amazon, get her book. It's called Surviving Agent Orange. Here she is, Gretchen Bonaduce. I am back with Gretchen Bonaduce, who I interviewed months ago when she was just in the process of writing her book, and her book is coming out very soon. So I'm welcoming her back to the show with open arms. She's so wonderful, and we're going to talk about all different kinds of things today, including her book, Surviving Agent Orange, and other lessons I learned from being thrown under the Partridge family bus. Welcome to the show, Gretchen. Thank you, sweetie. I am so excited to talk to you because... Very few people have read my book. I think, um, well, I think now they've sent it out to a bunch of press, but you were one of the first three people to read it. Even my closest friends haven't read it. Like, I just, I don't need anyone's input right now. I'm so terrified of people's reactions. Like, I don't need, well, I think you should have said this, or you should have said that. I, I just can't have it at this point. Now it's done, and it is what it is, so... I'm so excited for you. I'm so honored that I got to read the book so early. When you sent me that advanced copy, I devoured it in like a week or two. I mean, I was just going through it so quickly because it was, to me, I mean, I was like so excited that it wasn't out yet and I was getting to read it. But also I have to tell you before we get into the details of it, it was it was very powerful in its vulnerability. The way you wrote it, and I know that you wrote it. We're going to talk about your writing process. You did not hire a ghostwriter. No. You, wrote, you wrote this book. You wrote this baby. And it taught me so much about you. And it was also just about being a woman, which I really appreciated. It wasn't just about you know, your Hollywood experiences or what we saw on TV. So right. thank you for letting me read it. Uh, well, thank you for taking the time to do it. And wanting to talk to me about it. Like, I'm so 
honored that you would even have me on again. You know, it could have been the other way. You could have read it and gone, oh my God, did she see me? Hopefully she won't see me. I don't want, I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to see her. So I'm very happy about that. No, not at all. So, so you guys listening, if you don't remember our interview, go back to, like I said, months ago when we had our initial interview, Gretchen came on the show to talk about her time on Breaking Bonaduce, the mid-2000s reality TV show. If you have not seen it, you need to go to Hulu or go to YouTube or just, you know, you can, you can find the videos anywhere. I looked them up and you can find them all over the place and watch the, both seasons of that show. You guys, it is one of the most raw, real reality television shows that I've ever seen. And I am in deep with so much reality TV. I've watched it since the real world till now. Yes. And I still can't get over what that show was and how much you allowed the cameras to come into your lives at a really difficult time. You actually write about that in your book. Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't think we would have been brave enough to do it had we known the direction the show was going to go because originally we shot the pilot and it was rock and roll dinner party and it was rock stars would come over and it was a potluck. They all had to bring their favorite food and then we sat around and ate and, and we filmed it. And VH1 was like, you know what? Um, we don't really like the concept of the show, but we like YouTube. So we're going to go ahead and give you guys the show. And honestly, we did not know that that was going to unfold like that. We wouldn't have been brave enough, for sure, I think. Because it, it really turned into a show at the crux of your, you know, your marriage mm -hmm. ending. You know, and it, yeah. you, you talk about in the book and you talked about on your last interview on Pink Shade too, it, it kind of helped you get clarity on what to do too, which is right. interesting because that's not a lot of people's experience in reality television. A lot of people want to go on a show and pretend that everything's fine or really almost mask every single problem going on in their lives, or they think it's going to save them somehow. Yeah. And you went on looking for it to be totally real and raw and just- exactly. Yeah. I didn't want to do it. If we were going to do something, well, remember that time when you said this and then I said this? Okay, let's do that again. I didn't want any of that. You know, we really didn't even deal with the affair that Danny had that I talk about in the book until we were shooting because I wanted it to unfold in the way it was actually happening and not recreating. So, but again, I didn't know it was going to go like that explosive. No way. Neither did he. No, neither did he. I mean, you could tell he was, he was unraveling on the show as we watched it. It wasn't mm -hmm. like that at the very beginning. All right. So we'll, we'll put pause on that. Cause I want to talk about how you discuss, you know, getting into the show, what the show did for you, how it unfolded for your family mm -hmm. later in the book. But this book isn't just about your marriage to Danny or your time yeah. in reality television. You actually start with your childhood mm -hmm. and you go through a lot of details about an, a very interesting childhood and a lot of painful things that happened to you. One of which was your mother passing away very yeah, early in your uh, life. Weird <laughs> and unexpected. Um, and for a long time, I didn't really know how she had passed away. Um, my mother, we, we had moved to Germany. My parents had gotten a divorce because, you know, they got married in high school and that doesn't work out. And so they both ended up getting remarried and she married a gentleman who was in the army. And so uh, we were stationed in Germany. So we went over there. And at the time she was pregnant with, with the child. And I know she'd had a really hard time 
having two kids. My, I have an older brother as well. And I think they had advised her not to have another child. And she, of course, wanted to. You know, she was married to another man. She was very in love. And then she ended up um, dying while right after she had the baby. And so forever, I just heard she had died during childbirth. And then when I found out when I was 22 that that wasn't actually true, it was very traumatic. You know, it was like reliving it all over again. And I still don't really know the details. Like, I don't really have an idea exactly how it happened or why. I wish I could find out, but I don't. It, it's, it's tragic. I mean, the fact that how you found out how she died, it, regardless of the actual story, that it was so sudden. And mm-hmm. it was around the birth of your youngest sister. Right. Who right. Your, ha- your half-sister or your stepsister. No, your half-sister. half-sister. Yeah, yeah, of half-sister. course, your half-sister. And you uh, still have a relationship with that sister today? I do, but I don't really see her very often. We didn't grow up together. Yeah. My mother passed away. My stepfather let his family adopt her because he was in the army. He wasn't really going to be able to take care of her. And my dad had always wanted custody of my brother and I, so he just took us. So, you know, it wasn't like a big deal. I think my parents wanted to actually take her and keep us all together, but, you know, understandably, he wanted to have his family taking care of her. So, yeah, I I really didn't grow up with her. Um, I... Like when I was living in Chicago, Danny and I moved her there and helped her get a job. So at one point we were in close contact, but I really haven't talked to her in a very long time now because she moved away. She's got children and, and, uh, I think I should probably reach back out to her at some point. <laughs> Cause the book is coming out. I mean, this yeah. book is coming out August 14th. It'll be available everywhere. You can actually pre-order it now on Amazon and, I mean, how are you feeling about this? We're talking about, you know, very personal stories and that we're starting out with your childhood and we're going to continue, but how do you feel about this book going, going out there to the public? You lose control, you know, after you put it out there. Exactly. I am really excited and really terrified, you know, because I don't know how people are going to receive the book. I don't know. You know, I tried to write it with a uh, fun sense of humor when I could manage that because some of the stories are hardcore. You know, there isn't a way to make it funny. Some of them are, but it depends on who you're talking to, how they perceive the book. You know, like I've done a couple of interviews. Most of them, I think most of the people got it the way that I meant it. And some people I didn't think really got it and were asking me weird things that I was like, that's what you got from my book. That's kind of weird. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So, you know, you just don't know. You don't, you you have to turn it over to the reader, you know, and the reader, every single reader is going to get something different out of this book. What, what I got out of this book is I felt like I learned a lot about you and I heard your voice in it. And that's because you wrote it. Like I said before, Tell me about your writing process, because this is the first book, the first full book you've ever written, right? Ever. And you did yes. it yourself. Well, the reason I ended up doing it myself is because essentially I'm greedy. And I was like, well, if I have someone <laughs> write it, I'm going to have to split it with them. So I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. Uh, I have the stories. I just now have to sit down and be disciplined. So I just every day made it a point to sit down like at the zoo. I go sit by the monkeys on a bench with my iPad and do that. My pool, I'd sit there, pour some wine, right, right, right. Um, So I just tried to 
every day be disciplined about writing. I didn't try to start it with an order because I knew I couldn't do that. I just, I knew that wasn't going to be possible. So I just would write a story, then another story, then another story. Then I was able to start putting it in an order, which then the book company broke it up anyway. So now it jumps from year to year to year, but um, I didn't try to put it in an order because I, I knew I couldn't manage that. Like it would just, I would stop, I'd get stuck and I would be like, okay, I don't know what to say now. So if that happened when I was writing a story here, a story there, I would just then write a different story and come back to it if I would get stuck. That's so smart. I actually taught writing. I taught creative writing for 13 years at the high oh, school wow. level. So I worked with, you know, student writers and we, the longest thing we ever, or I ever had them write was a 15 page short story, but that's like a book to a lot of kids, you mm-hmm. know, 15 that's pages. Mm-hmm. And so, and I would, I would give that advice. I'd say, don't worry about the start. Don't worry about the ending. Don't worry about your story arc, you know, what, how these characters are going to develop. And in the sense of your own memoir, because we, we do nonfiction writing quite a bit. It's like, don't, don't worry about getting all the details in order the first time. Just write yeah. a scene. Just write a scene. Just write a story. You put it together later. You know, so the fact that you did it that way, mm-hmm. I feel like that's why your book feels very organic and it feels like you. And it, to me, it felt like your voice. Like it was funny. I, I was laughing when you were laughing, even if it was just like such a bizarre story, because I'm like, I feel like she is just kind of throwing this out there in a really honest way where it didn't seem too manufactured. I like that about memoirs. And I would call yeah. this a memoir. I don't know if you do. I do. Yeah. Okay. I definitely do. Um, yeah. I mean, it just was, I, I wanted to get it out there. I wanted to get it done. I hoped I could find someone to pick it up because that's the thing, you know, you don't know yeah. if anyone's going to be interested Uh, It took me about six months to write the bulk of it. And then um, it took like a couple of years to find somebody who would pick it up. Um, Really? Wow. Yeah, it takes a long time. I don't think people understand. Uh, Originally, I had a New York lit agent who took it. And so that was the year right there of him sending it out to everybody. I got so many no's, almost all no's, actually. (laughs) And then... um, then I got a couple of people that wanted to do it. But when I looked up their book company, it was just like, eh, I don't think so. And then I ended up with these um, incredible people called Rare Bird. That's who's putting out my book, The Publishing Company. So I was very lucky to find someone who I thought was a good fit for me and someone that wanted to do it. You know, honestly, I could have done all that work and no one would have cared, which I was afraid would be the case, you know? So <laughs> any of us who create something, we're like, okay, we're going to put it out. Maybe there's an audience. Maybe there's not. I don't yeah. know. I'm just going to try to be honest and authentic. And yeah. And I love that you push through the nose. I think that's critical. You have to yeah. push through those no's because there's a yes around the corner. If you really believe in something and for well, you, there is. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was lucky. I was able to find someone, but it was discouraging. And the funny thing was he didn't really tell me that he was getting all these no's, I just wouldn't hear from him. And so when he finally sent me all the no's in one big email, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, all right, that is a lot to take in one email. But yeah, it was like, no, 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 no. And so then you start doubting, like, you know, well, maybe I shouldn't have written this book. People obviously don't care. And you know, I don't have a lot of social media. I have tons of friends like Adrian Curry is a very close friend of mine. 
Bobby Brown, very close friend of mine. She was the cherry pie girl. They have thousands and thousands of followers. Well, I don't have that. So, you know, I don't know how it's going to sell. I, I was hoping I could write a book that it didn't matter that it was me, that the story was interesting to anyone. So that's kind of what I was aiming for. I'm just going to write this. It can be anyone in the world, you know, because how many people that no one has ever heard of write books all the time and they're great books and people are interested. So, you know, I just kind of had to hope for that because I didn't know if people would care. I think you did exactly that. And I think people will care because it's a, it's a compelling story of growth. The, the, I mean, the arc of your life. I love at the, at the very end of your book, I, I mentioned this quote to you before, you, you end the book saying, I've lived, I'm not dead yet, and I did get to tell my story, at least my story so far. Yes. And I think that line just encapsulates the purpose of your book. This is your story so far. It's not just about reality television and a marriage. It's about how you turned into the person who entered that, how you exited it and who you are now. And I think every woman and many men can relate to this book. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and it's so funny because I was struggling with the ending because everything I'd write, it'd be like, uh, I'm on Anderson Cooper and he's asking me and I'm like, oh, this is stupid. So I was throwing everything out. I didn't really like it. And then I went to see Hamilton and uh, uh, who lives, who dies, who tell your, your story. That's one of the lines of one of the songs in Hamilton. And that's why I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm trying to say here. You know, is I want to tell my story. I don't want someone else to tell my story, which is a lot of my motivation in writing the book, you know, because my ex-husband has had radio shows and he's been able to say a lot of things about me. Some true, a lot not true. And, you know, people, even my daughter was like, oh my God, mom, all of Philadelphia hates your guts <laughs> because he would just go after me on the air there. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of weird, you know, and, but they're believing a perception that someone is putting out there about me. Now, if you read my book and you go, oh, yeah, so I still hate your guts, then okay, I accept that because now you're making your opinion on me instead of what someone else is telling you about me. So I can totally accept that. If people read my book, and they're like, yep, still hate you. I'll go, okay. <laughs> I can handle that. <laughs> was it, so was that part of your motivation for writing it? You were like, I am, you know, Danny has had this platform on so many yeah. levels. He's had the radio, he's had TV. He wrote his own book while you were still together, right? Random Acts of Badness. Yes. And do you read the cover and the end? It's all like, to my beautiful wife, my amazing wife. And now I'm like, she, you know, he just doesn't say that at all. <laughs> I saw that. I, I read that. I did the Amazon look inside and then I was yeah, reading yeah. the reviews and it was all about this hopeful thing and how you saved him. And, and I thought, well, he's had, a, yeah, he's had a lot of platforms. So is that yeah. why, is that part of why you wanted to do it? For sure. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to represent myself and my story and, and, and in the way that, um, I perceive it, you know, because I'm sure there's going to be people out there that are going to go, I don't remember that that way, you know, but this is the way I remember it. So I'm telling it the way I remember it. You can write your own book and you can tell your perception, but you know, this was the way I saw it. And, and I also tried to be really fair about um, what I witnessed, like, cause some, there's some stories in there where if you ask people, they have already said, I don't believe that that's the way that happened. And if there was a contradiction, I went with what I saw, you know, like, because I, I, I needed it to be what I thought was real, 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it oh, does. Even though other people can have a different perception of the same situation, I wanted to make it mine and not this person said this and this person is contradicting it, you know, because there is a lot of that when you're writing a book, when you ask someone, do you remember when that happened? And then they tell you the way they saw it, you know, and then you ask someone else and they're like, no, that wasn't the way it was at all. So I kind of had to dismiss all of that. You do. Just write, yeah. Mm-hmm. The you way do because I, it's, it's your memoir. That means it's, mm-hmm. it's the way you remember things. It's the way you interpret yes. them now, remembering them, not the way they were then. And that's right. just your, your story isn't necessarily exactly, you know, it's not like a, a journalistic venture where you're trying to get every fact exactly accurate. You're just to the best of your memory incorporating exactly. and your emotional state is always different. So who you are as a writer and who you are as a woman today is how you're remembering it. Right. Right. So that affects it. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, I at one point was going to consider having a writer and I told her a story and I said, now write it and give it back to me. And it didn't sound like me at all. You know? So again, that was another reason it was important for me to do it because I felt like for you to hear my voice, it kind of needs to be my voice. It is. Your, and it is your voice. It's very natural. It's very colloquial. It sounds like you're talking to the reader, which I, I personally love that style because I feel like I can, yeah, I get, to, I actually get to know the writer, you know, it doesn't I'm sound really it's not, because yeah. it's the only way I can write. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not formal or removed, no. you know, and I feel like yeah. sometimes a ghost writer can do that too. It can put that block between the reader and the, and the writer. So I think it's amazing. Now you went through, so you went through your childhood, you moved a lot, you were with your father after your mother passed away. Right. You had this kind of resilience where, I mean, when you were writing about it, I really admired the way you never painted yourself as a victim, either in childhood or in your marriage. You know, you no, just I don't about, see myself like that at all. You don't. Uh-uh. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why, I mean, psychiatrists, they would, I'm sure, put me in the enabler, uh, you know, everything. But to me, I'm like, I reject that. I'm sorry. I don't let anyone do anything. You know, you do what you do. I do what I do. And um, I, I just don't accept that as a term, you know, if a, a doctor is going to say, well, you are, you are, well, fine. But, you know, to me, I think erring on the side of kindness and compassion, which is the way I've been raised, you know, I, I don't feel like you're a victim when you're choosing to give people chances, you know, and we had children, Danny and I, you know, we had a long history. So we were married 18 years. I don't know if people know that. Um, and there was a lot to fight for, you know, I really was trying hard, but I'm sure if you asked a psychiatrist, it would be, you know, codependent and able, whatever. But I think you also don't add in when you're raised in a really religious family, which I was, you are so conditioned to forgive, forgive, turn the other cheek. Um, in a way it can victimize you a little bit with the religion part, but, um, I don't know that I'd want to be any other way. You know, I would rather give someone way more chances than not enough chances. You know, I feel like I left when I finally knew I can't give any more chances now. Now I would become a victim if I continue to stay in this. And also allowing my children to then be victimized by staying there. You know, so it's always a dance. I'm sure every woman understands. It's like, um, 
what damage do I want to give my children? The product of divorce, keeping them in a marriage with someone with addiction probably, you know, someone with, you just don't know. You're always like juggling. What do I do? What do I do? And just trying to do the best that you can and make the best decisions for your children. And, you know, I was watching Dr. Phil. I think I told you that that was the thing that made me leave, um, which is so funny, but it is, uh, where he said children would rather be from a bad situation than in one. And I was like, oh my God, I am keeping my children in a bad situation. And that's what gave me the, what I needed to go. You know, I needed, I needed to hear that, that this isn't now about you and what you're putting up with. It's now what you're allowing your children to put up with. And that's when, you know, that was enough for me then. Yeah. And I love the way you wrote about it. And I love how you just explained this. This is a, to me, this is a different way than we look at it a lot of times. And I have personal experience in my family, you know, seeing my mom really in a similar situation to one you were in and with, you know, with a partner who is struggling and it was my father and they stayed married for 21 years because she had the same kind of foundation, a really religious foundation. She also yeah. would often say, you don't just throw per a person away. And she believed in, you know, forgiveness and, yeah. and, and he was, he was not a bad person. He was struggling, yeah. you know? Right. And I think, I think the way you described Danny in the book was very generous. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, if you've heard from him or you got his input at all, but I no. feel like None. He is not. I mean, I know he knows about the book. He should be grateful for the way you painted him. I mean, you really are generous in your I description so. of him. You I are. So. I really tried to be fair. You and, were. You know, talk about some of the stories, some of the things he did, they were ugly. You know, there was no way around it. But I also, it wasn't to settle the score. It wasn't about how can I hurt Danny in any way. Um, and, and that's a thing when people are like, oh, are you writing a tell-all book? I'm like, no, that just sounds mean, you know, when you're, when you even say it that way, you know, I really wanted to, as I said, represent myself, my story, the things that, you know, and, and I was kind of telling stories about myself that I really didn't want to put out there, but I felt like I'm doing this to other people. In fairness, I have to do it to myself. You know, I really, you don't yeah. have to talk about that story, but yeah, it wasn't uh, the best day of my life, my Amsterdam little story, <laughs> but you know, I felt like I did it and I need to talk about that. You know, I made mistakes and handled things not, you know, in the best way, in the most mature way too, but you know, it's part of being human. You just do the best you can. Yeah. And being part of a family and being in a marriage and being two parents together, you can easily fall into that trap of saying there's one good person and there's one evil person, or there's right. in, in your case, you know, like the addict and the codependent and you're rejecting those titles. You're saying, no, Danny wasn't just an addict. He was struggling, but because you, you described many beautiful times. I love the times you described in, I think it was New York or where, when you moved to somewhere in a little house together early in your marriage and he was My on the radio. Philadelphia. Yeah. Philadelphia. We had owned together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, really neat times. Of, you know, um, when you're an addict, it's a disease. You know, do you get mad at someone because they have cancer? Right. Like you have to um, just understand that, you know, he didn't want to do those things. Um, I think a lot of times and, uh, he just couldn't help it. You know, he just would start taking drugs and drink. And, and that was the thing. We had all these great periods where he was sober and he was fine. And then he'd fall off again. And then, 
he'd get back on, you know? So it wasn't like the whole time. It was just this nightmare of on and off, on and off. Uh, but I mean, through the whole marriage, it was, but we did have periods of time where he was very lucid and wasn't drinking and wasn't using. And, you know, those were times that, uh, were mostly great, but you know, the affair thing happened when he was sober. So, you know, I just never really knew when he was going to do something weird and wrong. And, you know, because again, I was raised in a super religious upbringing. I don't think about how do I lie about these things? And I don't think about someone else doing it, you know, because that's just not the way I think, you know, yeah, you're not a suspicious go, person. No, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to go have this affair and then I'm going to come home and sit at my table and act like everything's fine. I don't know how people do that. Like I could never pull something like that off. Well, this is why it's so hard to fathom when you yourself are a well-adjusted person. And I love how you describe yourself as kind of a Midwest gal who's still a rebel, you know, at heart. Yeah. And because I, 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 I can relate to that. 75%, you know, religious uh, good girl and 25% party monster. And that is just the truth. <laughs> I, re I relate to that so yeah. much. That's why I'm saying, I think this book is so relatable, even if you're not living some Hollywood life or something. Cause I think there's a lot of us who are mostly, mostly one thing, but we have a little streak of something else. And, you know, I think that's what makes people interesting. And like I said, there's no one good, no one evil. It makes right. you well, it's a, it's a rounded, well-rounded person, but also because you have that strong foundation and you did have family values and, you know, you had that also religious upbringing, you're not going to sit around thinking, I wonder if my husband moved his girlfriend in down the street. Never. Who's going to think that? It's so ludicrous. No, uh -uh. I, I never in a million years would have thought, you know, I was suspicious early on that maybe he could be, you know, up to no good, but I could never catch him. You know, I wasn't able to catch him until computers and texting. And, you know, when I would try to confront him and go, I think something's going on here. You're crazy. Oh my God, I would not do that to you. And then you're going, oh my God, am I crazy? Maybe I'm crazy. You know, like they, and, I, and I'm not the kind of person that is gonna leave someone over what I think is happening. You know, I needed to have proof if I was going to go which is what happened when I finally caught him with the affair and it was over texting, you know, like I am mm -hmm. calling and hanging up and breaking into his email. I mean, I would pretend to be him at the end there because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pretend I'll get his phone. I'm like, Hey, it's Danny. What you doing now? If I saw a girl's number, <laughs> Oh, I forgot. When's the last time I saw you? Like, you know, trying to like make him give me information, <laughs> so, you know, but that's how I finally caught him, you know, was, uh, and where he couldn't get out of it, you know, I finally caught him because uh, if I'd answer his phone, someone would hang up, then I'd start pretending to be him on his phone. And then, you know, he just couldn't get around it now and had to tell me that he was in love with someone else. And then, of course, I grabbed his phone and stomped on it and it kept stomping on top of his phone <laughs> and then was going to throw it in the pool and <laughs> grab me before I could do that. But uh, yeah, it was not something... I, I was pretty shocked. I mean, it was during the time of the other half. You know, he was on the show with Dick Clark. He was doing radio. He was doing voiceovers. So he was gone all the time, which was another thing. It was hard to catch him, which is why he moved her down the street, was because he was so busy to have access to her. She needed to be down there. Um, but, yeah, I was shocked. Like, never saw that coming. Not in a million years. So, 
So uh, it was hard. And this is on his show on the other half and be like, my wife's the great, I mean, anyone that's ever heard his radio show or his TV shows, anything with him when we were married, it was always, my wife's the greatest person. My wife is the best, you know? And um, so I just believed him, you know, I believed that all these things he was saying, like he got a tattoo ring around his finger. And I thought that was for me when it turned out it was for her, you know? So just some really shocking stuff. Yeah. 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 And I, you, you wrote a lot about that and I found that, you know, that was really shocking to read about how he was always on this public platform singing your praises and almost, almost using you to make him a really good guy in the public sphere and then treating you a completely different way. He duped the whole, everyone. Right. When uh, he went on the air and first uh, spoke about the affair People for days were calling in going, oh my God, how could you do that to her? I'm like, they were mad for me. Like you sit here and talk about how great she is and that's the way you were treating her. So he took a lot of heat as he should have, you know, like, I just don't understand people with affairs. If you're not happy, go, you know, just go. It's so easy. It's exhausting to live a double life. But yeah, but I mean, I, I don't understand that. Why would you make choices for someone that they're, they're not making for themselves, that you would know they wouldn't be happy about. You know, there's no way in the world I would ever have an open marriage. And that's just not something I would ever be open to. So Exactly. And it's just, frankly, exhausting, is it not? Yeah. To live this double life, to be hiding all of this thing. But it seems like that's part I of the addict. I don't know how you do it. I swear to you, I don't know how people can sit there, come to their dinner table with their kids and their wife when they've just come from a house having an affair. Like, how do you do that? It's baffling. It's Mm -hmm. baffling. And people who have been, women and men who have been through this, when they read your book, I think they're going to relate to how real time you go back and you talk about like what you were thinking and what was happening and how, you know, how it's kind of hard to, like you said, catch the person or really believe your own thoughts because they're gaslighting you at every corner. You know, they're telling you you're crazy, you're being paranoid and you think, am I? You know, yeah. it's very difficult it to is. live through that. And, but and in, that's such a cruel thing to do to somebody. It is. You make them question their sanity, you know, when yeah. like what you're doing, like who does that? I, I just, yeah, I, I don't get it. But it is what happened. And I tried to tell the story because just like you said, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people out there that can relate to that. And if it gives them comfort to know you're, you know, I went through the same thing and you're not crazy. You're the fine one. So don't right. ever question, you know, that. And, and also forgiveness. That's the other thing. You know your limit. No one else can tell you you should go. And why are you putting up with that? You'll know when you're ready and you need to pull the plug, you'll do it. And you don't need someone to push you into that. You know, you won't feel good about it. When you're ready, you'll feel good that you did it. And I did. You know, when I walked away, I was done. You know, like I was like, taking a new girlfriend out to go, hey, he really likes these kind of clothes. Let's go get our nails done. Just so he'd not be focused on me, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you and you don't have any regrets at that point because I you think I have tried 100 out of 100 possible things. Everything. <laughs> we tried church. We tried rehab. We tried everything, right. you know? Um, so when I finally did walk away, I um, felt pretty confident that I really had done and even at that point, my parents were like, 
you, God, that's the card he gives you, like infidelity, you're fine with God, don't worry about that one, you know, because I just wanted to keep my marriage together. You know, someone was asking me, they're like, well, you just wanted to prove everybody wrong, because everybody said your marriage was not going to work. I'm like, yeah, doesn't everybody, you know, want their marriage to work? Like, right. how many times have you known people and you secretly are going, oh, that's not going to work out. You know, no one wants anyone to be right about that. (laughs) Exactly. Like that's such a foreign concept to try to prove that your marriage is working out. Now you started on such a, I mean, the story blew up and it became its own, you know, almost legend how you and Danny met and then you got married within the story is you got married within 24 hours, but you actually explain what was going through your head how that happens in the book. I mean, can you just give us the quick real story of that? God, it's so hard to condense that one. I know. Um, it really yeah, was a I, little more than a day, but it was it was yeah. about it was about you kind of Well just- the Star magazine um, put out an article. It's so funny. Oh, I wish I could find it and show it to you right now. Um, um, it said the headline was Danny Bonaducci marries blonde after eight hour courtship. Eight hours. Yeah. On the Star magazine. So it wasn't eight hours. It was uh, more than that. Um, But really, I just was, I just moved back to Phoenix, really feeling adrift. Like, what am I doing here? I don't even understand why I'm back in this town, God. I don't, I don't know. You know, like, please give me some direction here. I'm just not sure. So I ended up uh, working for this company where he put on different shows like baseball card shows. The one thing that I was doing was it was the psychic fair and it was my job to get psychics on the radio show so he could get people to come to a psychic fair. And I booked a psychic on his radio show. So that's kind of how we started talking. And and then I uh, invited him over because I, as I said, I just moved back to Phoenix and he had just moved there. And I'm like, oh, I know a lot of fun places. Why don't you come over? My roommate now make you dinner and we'll go out and have fun. And so we just had the best time. Like went on this, I, I made this big dinner. We went out, we saw the gin blossoms were playing. Um, and uh, I don't even know how the subject like came up between us about getting married. Well, I've always wanted to get married and have children. That's like been a dream of mine. And so, you know, since I was a little girl, like every little, well, not every little girl. I'm yeah, sure there's a lot of girls. But many. So, yeah. Um, and so we, um, and also another big factor of that was too, that I really didn't want to be in sexual relationships with people anymore unless I was married. So that was Danny's motivation to marry me was I wouldn't have sex with him. And so I was like, when, when, uh, uh, and again, when he, he says, I, I would never ask, there's no, I just not my personality to ask a guy to marry me, but you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Cause he claims so, you asked him to marry yeah, you. Like, no, I don't think so. I, I just don't see me doing that. Uh, but, uh, there was drinking involved. So <laughs> that's also could be part of why he did it. Um, and yeah, so he wanted to have sex with me. And I'm like, oh, if you want to get married, then, um, then we can yeah, have sex. So he's like, okay. <laughs> he grabs the yellow pages and we called the minister and he came over and married us. And he didn't know we didn't know each other. Like he ended up getting in a lot of trouble when it came out in the Star Magazine that <gasps> married two people he didn't know. Really? <laughs> know each other, yeah. But then we had him actually do our ceremony six months later because then we did do a wedding because... My parents, I'm the only girl, you know, for my dad and 
my, I mean, I have a half sister, but my dad wanted me to have a wedding essentially. So we ended up six months later doing the whole wedding dress and the wedding party. And there's pictures that will be in the book from it. So, um, yeah, so we ended up, you know, doing the whole wedding thing. So yeah, <laughs> and you and, story. and yeah. you ended up getting a good, good photography and a spread in the magazine. So you have those pictures forever. Yeah, that you know? kind of disappointed me though. Um, I didn't tell my mom and dad that I was going to give Star Magazine an exclusive because Danny had just been arrested yep. right before the wedding, and so his mother had put up every cent she had, you know, to uh, get him out. Well, really, my dad put up his cars the first night. My dad had vintage cars. And so the Bond people took my dad's cars and chained his vintage cars to, like, poles. And, and that's how we were able to get Danny out of jail that night. And uh, so, but by the time we got married, his mom had paid, she was paying money because Danny lost his job. And mm-hmm. um, so I couldn't ask my parents for any more money because you know, there wasn't any. So I made a deal with Star. If they'll give me the pictures, you can have the exclusive because I couldn't pay a photographer. It was essentially what happened. I think I ended up getting like eight pictures. That was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah, my mom and dad were not happy when I'm like, oh, hi, here's the eight pictures from our wedding. <laughs> at, le- at least you have them. But man, that's that whole thing where Danny got arrested right before your wedding and all of that mess, you ended up kind of making lemonade out of lemons from that because then he started going on shows and talking about it and right almost like turning that bad boy into a platform for him it it was during the ex-child star gone wrong era yeah like dana plato was in trouble todd bridges was in trouble danny was in trouble everyone was in trouble so every tv show like oprah and uh more like you name it they were all doing the ex-child star gone wrong show and because danny was sag and astra they had to pay you so that's how we got by was he was doing these shows and uh then he sold an article he wrote it because he we couldn't leave the house it was just too embarrassing to go anywhere and you know <laughs> oh, God. It was, uh, uh we were you know gonna have the trial and that takes a few months before you can get a date and so we were essentially kind of stuck inside because again it was just too humiliating to go anywhere in phoenix and uh um he ended up selling a story to um esquire he's a very good writer a very very good writer and uh that ended up getting someone in australia interested in having him come over there and do stand-up and, uh, and so he ended up jumping from that to that. So, you know, we were so lucky that he, he was, he's very talented, you know, very smart. And he was able to figure out ways to take care of us doing all these things that he never planned on doing. He didn't really like being a stand-up. He had no plan to do it, but then it kind of fell in his lap and it was a way for him to take care of us. So it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I feel like I got that out of the book. You were, I mean, of course it didn't work out in the end, which is right. fine, but you were well matched and that you were both hustlers and you were both risk takers. You were, you yeah. were like, okay, let's do this. And you would, you would almost act as his manager. I and was. Yeah. 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 And, and then he was willing to take risks thing. too. Yeah. Um, the thing with managing him, that can be a little weird. Like when you're married to someone and their manager and their publicist, and you've got someone that misbehaves, right. so now you're the wife and you know what's going on, but you have to throw up a smoke screen. 
that that was a little weird, you know, to have to do that. But I had to protect his career, you know. So a lot of times I was put in a position where I had to fudge exactly what had happened. <laughs> totally, because you could be putting on a press release with like all the honest things that he had just done, but you can't yeah. do that. No, you're his-, his career would have been over. I exactly. mean, he could have been over so many times. <laughs> And having me to throw up the smoke screen, you know, like it, uh, and, and right or wrong, you know, but it was what it was. I had to protect us to help him get better. You know, like I talk in the story, um, in the book about, uh, he was honest with me that he was going to fail a drug test. Yep. So I had to pee for him once. And I said, I'm going to do this, this once, one time I'm going to get you out of trouble because I knew he'd be fired and we'd be over. You know, we wouldn't be able to do anything. He would have been, it would have been just a press nightmare and no one would have given him another job, you know? So there were things that I did that weren't exactly honest, but I had to protect him, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, you writing about these things in the book is really a departure from most people who are celebrity or quasi celebrity who are out there in the public eye. They -hmm. don't tell those stories. And that's why I I bring it back to, I feel like this is a memoir where I'm reading about someone who isn't afraid of putting the skeletons out there and you, but you also don't sound like a victim. So it's a really admirable thing that you've done. I can't say that enough I stand by everything I've done. I just do. You do. Good and bad. I have done some great things. I've done some bad things. Right. You know, but I tried to be honest about all of it, even though I'm sure my parents aren't going to be real happy about that Amsterdam story. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys who get the book on August 14th to read about that, we'll just leave that as a teaser. You, you, you need to get, you need to read the book in its entirety. I know that listeners listening right now, if you have even a, a passing interest in learning about what goes on behind the scenes, in, uh, you know, the bad boy, Danny Bataducci story or reality TV or someone who has a lot of connections in Hollywood. This book is for you. It is amazing. And Gretchen just did an incredible job of making it relatable to us who we're not living in that same life, but I feel like it's relatable in so many human ways. Yeah. And the and thing I about- I agree with yeah. you. There's so many people that they don't really understand what happens behind the scenes and, you know, how sometimes people- get pegged as the villain and for me I'm like did you say it did you do it it is you so don't try (laughs) to say it's not you you know but um and then I think there's people like Danny who were feeding off of the praise oh my god he's so crazy look how crazy like how much crazier can I be you know and I think that a lot of people who end up being pegged and Danny you know has been famous since he was five. So he was more prepared to deal with that. I think people that have never been on TV find themselves the villain, end up being kind of shocked and you either have to embrace that personality or there's nothing you can do. You know, like once you're out there as the bad person, I I remember um, The Bachelor, one season had uh, a girl named Olivia Caridi. Do you remember? Did you see that season? I don't know if I remember her. I'm sure everyone listening, lots of people are going to remember that name. Yeah, they they were making her out to look really, really bad. And she was like a, um, uh, a newscaster before she got on the show. And I know her family, like her dad did my nose job. <laughs> so I've known them a long, long time. And uh, our kids went to camp together. So when I watched how bad they were making this poor girl look, I felt just so bad. And 
you can either now just embrace it. And I think a lot of people do when you figure out, okay, cause they're feeding you behind the scenes, but oh my God, what you just did, that was amazing. Like when you slap someone across the face or whatever, you know, they're helping you go in those directions because they need a good show. And if everyone just gets along, it's all milk toast. No one's going to watch, you know? No, so, no, no uh, one's going to watch. So the producers have to set it up not even set it up even, but push it in that direction. Push like, it. Give you a lot of yeah. a positive reinforcement to be an asshole. Can I say that word? <laughs> yes, you can <laughs> feel free. They need you to, you know, <laughs> they need you to do some crazy things. And then, yeah, you either can embrace it. And at that point, there isn't anything you can do. Once you figure out you're going to be the bad person here and everyone's going to hate you, all you can do is just go along with it, you know, and and do the best you can with it now. <laughs> so. you, you had mentioned before that you, were you approached to be on The Real Housewives or was that something in your universe at one point? Yeah, um, I was, I did audition for Housewives okay. of Beverly Hills and I have nothing in common with any of, I don't even watch the show. It's just so dumb to me. It's like <laughs> the same storyline over and over. Uh, and my husband, she, it's the same thing. Like now it's what, 10 seasons in? Yeah, it's, you know, they're like, a lot, yeah. It's just the same, it's the same thing over, you're a bitch and you pulled my extensions. And you know, like how many storylines can you do that over and over? But it pays really well. So, you know, that would be the reason I wanted to do it. And I also thought, well, it might be interesting that I'm so not like them. You know, like I probably have the same amount of money as some of them. You know, not the ones that are married to the really, really rich guys, but right. you know, the uh, in the beginning for sure, I was probably on equal playing foot with some of them, money-wise. But I don't live like that, you know. I don't own one pair of Prada, anything, Christian Louboutin. I don't own stuff like that, you know. I I did drive a Ford till last week. My lease was up. Now I did get a Lincoln. <laughs> but <laughs> good for you. Yeah, but I, you know, I I don't live like those people. I don't take private jets. You don't, I don't eat at Mastro's every night. I haven't even eaten there in years because I don't want to pay that for a steak. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because there was someone on this season. I know you said you haven't watched it, but Teddy Mellencamp, the daughter of John Mellencamp, uh-huh. and she, is, she has money and she's successful and has kids and a husband and seems to live a very affluent life, but she's also the same. She's not really into designer labels and she works as an accountability coach. And it reminds me of someone like you, for instance, who she went on the show and she was like, what you guys, wait, if you said that, just own it. Like, what do you mean? What, wait, why are you bringing this up? Like she was out of her element because she was so normal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, I would, I would just, um, yeah, I'd always advise someone who is grounded and normal to just never go on a show like that because it's so much different than the show that you created and you were on Breaking Bonaduce where you put it all out there and you do just own it and you let the chips fall. Housewives right. is so manufactured compared to something like that. I just, I can't watch it. I, I'm going to bill Bravo for the hour of my lo- a life that I <laughs> if I'm going to sit there and do that. Yeah, no, I just, I don't care about that. You know, I just, I, I care. And, and it's so funny because they're always like, oh, my charity, you know, and it comes to my charity benefit. And I just, they're doing it for the show. I mean, I'm not saying they don't care about charity, but I'd rather do it in real life, you know? Like I, I have five yeah. rescues. Um, 
uh, I just, I don't know. It's just, to me, it is so manufactured. And they, uh, I just, yeah, I can't. <laughs> so, but you've, you've actually been on the other side where you've produced reality TV or yeah. you've been involved in the creation of some shows. So where do you, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, did you, did you kind of back off of that? And more recently, or you still have your hands in there? Like, um, do you see well, any shows that might interest you? Well, after Breaking Bonadici, Danny and I executive produced that show. Yeah. Or produced, like, I can't remember what our title was. Um, and then we did the second season, and then we declined to do a third season because we were like, we're going to get a divorce if we have a third season. And then we ended up getting a divorce. So then I was kind of bummed I didn't do it because then I would have that paycheck and another <laughs> show credit. So, um, um, we, we brought them, I know my kids, the next child star in place of doing another season of Breaking Bonadici, which only ran one season. Um, and so we produced on that. And then, um, I was instrumental in helping, uh, to get ex-wives of rock on in Canada. And I've had several shows optioned with a lot of big companies over the years, but it's really hard to get something on TV now. And so I honestly have just sort of grown tired of dealing with um, people, really. I mean, because first of all, people that want to be on TV, you're already dealing with a narcissistic personality. A lot of these people are completely, <laughs> like, unrealistic about what they think they're going to get. I've had so many deals blown because people are idiots. Like, I'm like, you're, you may not get another chance. You should just sign this piece of paper if you want to have a show. Oh, no, I need it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. So Everybody thinks they're worth a million-dollar deal. Yeah. You yeah. could be nobody and think that it's ridiculous. It's mostly nobodies that think they're worth it's a million nobodies. dollars. Yeah. yeah um, so I wouldn't say I wouldn't do it. If I found the right thing, I definitely would do it. But um, I just right now, I've just kind of grown tired of dealing with yeah those types and (laughs) I could see your do you ever see your book I mean I know that it's it's just coming out August 14th we're just at the beginning of things but it's been your baby for a long time do you ever see that turning into something on a screen somewhere I am trying really hard to get it sold as a movie yes Um, I, I think it really could be or a series even you know anything anything's good yeah uh, but yeah, I have uh, a few like movie contacts that I've tried to reach out to to see if they might be interested. Um, and even someone said to me, oh, we should pitch this as a series. I'm like, pitch away, go ahead. So yeah, I mean, uh, I think that would be amazing, you know, to have something like that from my book if I was able to do that. And I feel like just having a positive attitude about it. I mean, I got it this far by just believing I could do it. So I feel like if I just keep believing I can get it made into a movie, it will get there. So I hope so. I, I really believe it could be. I mean, I look at things like Kyle Richards and her American Woman that just came out on the Paramount Network. Have you, yeah, how was that? Um, I watched the first two episodes. It's pretty good. It's kind of campy, but it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's and it's interesting because of course she's it's got the draw for the for the reality TV viewers who have kind of gotten to know the Richard sisters and the family, but it's right. only inspired by a true story. So they can take a lot of liberties with the right, right. and I, I wonder if something like that could even happen with your story because you've got so many you know, just nonfiction stories that are your stories, but if it would become an inspired by, it could even go further. It's just, I don't know. I see yeah. big things. For, I see big things for you, but I really hope that people pre-order and also 
order your book when it comes yes, out on I would August. Love that. And, and are I you going to be going it. around like signing it or where are you going to be? Uh, I am. Um, I have right now five book signings, which I'm just thrilled about, you know, because again, it's so awesome that people are interested, you know, and so I'm, I'm in um, Phoenix, Palm Springs, Chicago, two here in LA. Uh, one is actually at Barnes and Noble, and that's going to be hosted by Donna Dierico and Sharice Neal, who was married to Vince Neal. So that'll be a really fun one. Um, and then my, the day the book comes out, uh, is I'm doing one in downtown LA at pop obscure records, which they're really good friends of mine. So I try to help people like everyone that's ever helped me, any benefit I'm getting from this book, I'm trying to bring everyone in like you know that has ever helped me like I have a friend I'm like if I get this made into a movie because I want to do like a Bridget Jones I Tanya that's the way I see my movie like, oh. um, I'm like you're gonna stand as a producer hair and makeup from Breaking Bonaduce you're flying in to do my hair and makeup <laughs> like I'm trying just to help everyone that has been loyal to me because you don't find that here. You just don't find that in LA. It's very hard. And I don't want to be one of those people. Anything that I benefit from, I would love if my friends can too, in some way. So, you know, Cherie Curry wrote a a really nice blurb that's going to be on the cover. My friend Susan Olson wrote a blurb. Uh, Adrian Curry wrote my foreword. I am so blessed to have such wonderful, great, nice friends who helped me out, you know, so now anything I can do to help them, like I just ordered Adrian's uh, Avon, <laughs> because now she's selling Avon, I don't know if you know that. She is, she's huge yeah. in Avon. She's huge, yeah, huge That's Avon. That's incredible. Yeah, so like you help me, I'm going to be buying my makeup from you forever, and you know, <laughs> like anything I can do to help my friends is what I'm all about right now, so if I, I love gonna, that. Yes. You know, maybe if we get into a movie, we can have you interviewing the actress. <laughs> you know, I just, I just see huge things from it. And I think people are going to absolutely love it. I loved it. And I, so. I, I, I really don't think it's the end. I think it's just the beginning. You know, I think it's the beginning, the book, the book being launched and people starting to get their hands on it and get the story out there. And like well, you said, I'm trying to have a thick skin because I realize I'm going to get both. I'm going to have people that love it, people that hate it. I mean, I'm already getting, you know, who cares about you? You know, some ex-wife of some child star, like, you know, like I already know I'm going to get that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you can just move on by them because yeah. it is about so much more than that. And it's such a pleasure to read and it's such a pleasure to talk to you again. Again. You are, we didn't mention this, but you are huge in the music scene. You were mentioning some music names there and you're in a band. And so I want to let you also talk about any upcoming things you've got going on musically before we go, because that's a huge part of your life. Oh, I just love it. I mean, I know a lot of people are probably like, you know, in your fifties, you probably shouldn't be dressing like Madonna anymore. <laughs> yes, you should. Absolutely. But, you should. Well, I, I have it. an eighties tribute band and we do like all the hits. I melt with you. Uh, she's so sanctuary. I know. love it. Like all the great stuff. We just played Laughlin. Uh, we played the Tropicana there for two nights, and that was really fun. Cool. Um, the one show that I have coming up is at the Grove on the 16th, the day after the Barnes and Noble book signing. Uh, we're playing, and then I'm just waiting. My booker is is uh, trying to get me some more dates. So hopefully, I mean, in a in a perfect world, that's what I would like to do: is come to each city play a venue and then do a book signing because I just feel way more comfortable doing that. I'm, I don't really like talking in front of people. I was trying to get into acting cause I love it. Like I'd love to act, 
I'm learning. I'm not like great, but I have panic attacks. So now I'm terrified that I have to get up there and read this book and I'm going to, you know, have to either drink a lot and then I'm going to be drunk and then it's going to be all over. <laughs> like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but it would be so much easier if I could just get up there and sing with my band. So anybody out there listening, if you have a venue, you want us to come and play and then I'll sign the books. It, oh, we love it. It'd be so much fun. And my band's incredible. That your like, band is incredible. I think that would be such a fabulous idea if you'd play a gig and then do a book signing. I mean, why not? That's like you. That's all you, you know? It's, that's what I'd hope. But it's kind of expensive to fly your whole band. You know, it just became really difficult to pull that one off. But maybe, you know, maybe we can find a sponsor or I don't know. But uh, yeah, in, in a perfect world, that would be what I would do is play and then sign the book because I feel fine doing that. But sitting up there reading yeah. the people is going to be really hard for me to do. It's going to be great though. There's going to be so many people there to support you in each city. I just know it. And so until then, where can people follow you on social media? Can they visit a website? What can we do to track uh, you down? I do have a website, but I haven't looked at it in a couple of years. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, just give us anymore. your social media and your yeah. Facebook and things like that. Um, I'm on Facebook and I do have a fan page, but it doesn't have a lot of people because I prefer to be friends with them, like real friends. So like on my, on my page, I have 5,000 followers or wait, 5,000 friends and 3,000 followers. On my fan page, I have like two people. <laughs> so if you... <laughs> If you, if you see one that has a low number, it's, it is mine. And I'm trying to like be more over there because I can't put, I don't know why Facebook caps you, but they do. Um, I also have an Instagram, Gretchen Bonaducci. Uh, I have a Twitter, which I barely use. Um, yeah, I'm like, people just don't care that much about me. Why do I need all these things that, but for pe people to ignore and then make me feel bad? <laughs> no, but people are going to be picking up this book and I think reaching out to you because they're going to relate to it on such a personal level. And you're such a kick-ass woman. And I feel so honored to have read it and to know you. It's just oh, been a pleasure getting yeah. to know you. Well, thank you so much for all your support. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I really can't thank you enough. And, and the fact that you like the book means everything to me. And also the fact that you uh, have writing courses. So even better, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, I write and I'm a reader. I love to read. And I love, like I said, I love stories that are told in an authentic voice. And I mean, you just couldn't be more authentic. And I know people use this word a lot, like, oh, she's so real. It's like, what does that mean? We're all real. But I think it means that you it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you come out there with all of it. And it's like, you, I, as a reader, I could breathe a sigh of relief when I read it because I thought, okay, I'm okay too. It's okay to make yeah. mistakes and just be a real person. People who make it or in the Hollywood scene, they're not perfect and that's okay. I love it. Yes. And um, some of us are happy to put it out there where others will never tell you all the things they've done. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope people connect with the book and I'm, I'm really proud. It was uh, a lot of work um, and it, it is scary. You know, it's scary that it's going to be out there soon and it's going to get judged. And as I said, I know it'll, some will be good, some won't be, but uh, it is what it is. So we'll see. It's coming August 14th. We're going to pre-order before then. And I hope, uh, you know, if you come you. to Chicago, maybe I'll make a trip down there to see you. I'm in Madison. Oh, so. I am. I am yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, September 11th. I remember awesome. the date on that. Oh, I can remember that. 
Yes, uh, I September know. My son 11. was laughing, going September 11th. I'm like, it's just a day now. It's just like, a day. It's some people's on. birthdays, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that must have been terrible on that I day. <laughs> I know. All right, Gretchen, thank you so much. We All will right, stay sweetie. in contact. Yes, thank you so much. I really cannot tell you how much it means to me that you are having me on and that you read the book and you like it. So thank you. I want to thank Gretchen again for coming in and talking to us on the Pink Shade podcast. I know she's been making her way around the different podcasts and news outlets recently because her book is coming out, but I just want to tell you guys on a personal note, I really love her and I think I relate to her and probably don't judge her story uh, as much as some do because I, I kind of get it. You know, I kind of get it and I think she's just so awesome for being vulnerable and open and telling us about what she's been through and where she's at. She's just such a kick-ass woman. Remember to go over to patreon.com slash pinkshade if you want bonus content. I have lots of fun extras going on over there for $5 a month or more. You can sign up to be a Patreon member, and I'm dropping two to four extra episodes just for you guys. You can get all the backlog content on there, too, if you sign up today. And it's just a way to support the podcast. I so appreciate all of you who have become members. You're amazing. And thank you for listening to this podcast can't thank you enough for spreading the word, subscribing, leaving an iTunes review and rating. It all helps and it means so much to me. Until next time, I will see you in reality. One in two women wear the wrong foundation. Which one are you? Get on the better looking side of those odds with Il Maquillage. Using AI, Il Maquillage virtually shade matches you to the perfect foundation. Their foundation has over 50,000 five-star reviews thanks to its luxe lightweight formula. And with 50 shades, there's a flawless finish for everyone. Take the Power Match quiz to find yours at ilmakiage.com quiz. That's I-L-M-A-K-I-A-G-E dot com slash quiz.